Good morning. Let us begin our time of worship as we always do from hearing God's word. Psalm 100 calls us to worship. It says, make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. Won't we say this all together? Say it with me. For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever. And his faithfulness to all generations. Well, brothers and sisters, we have much to be thankful for. For the Lord is good. It is true. So let every tongue sing out. And every home be filled with his praise. For a thousand tongues to sing My great Redeemer's praise The glories of my God and King The triumphs of His grace My gracious Master and my God Assist me to proclaim To spread through all Brought the honors of thy name. His name is Jesus. Jesus, the name that calms our fears, that bids our sorrows cease. Tis music in the sinner's ears, tis life and health and peace. He breaks, he breaks the power of canceled sin. He sets the prisoner free. His blood can make the foulest clean. His blood avails for me. For me. He speaks and listening to his voice. New life the dead receive. The mournful broken hearts rejoice. The humble poor believe. Glory. Glory to God and praise and love. He ever, ever again. By saints below and saints above. The church and earth and heaven. Glory to God. God and praise and love be ever, ever given by saints below and saints above the church and earth and heaven. Maybe so. Welcome. Welcome to this online service of Desert Springs Church. And if you're new as of the last three weeks, my name is Drew and I'm the music pastor here. And I just want to say a special thank you to Matt Jones and Sarah and Ryan for their capable leadership over these past three weeks and the whole music team uh, for leading all of us so well in song. And I'm glad to be back. So I'm missing your faces today. Uh, I'm missing uh, seeing you mask and all and uh, look forward to being together again soon. We know that this kind of online service is not ideal. And while it is less than church, it is more than nothing. And it is something we can give thanks for and something that we can uh, stay united around God's word. 
together. So moving forward, uh, we plan to meet in person soon. And after the announcement tomorrow from the governor, uh, we'll make a decision and decide how to move forward. But the plan and the hope is to be in person uh, very soon. So be praying for us and stay tuned for an update on Tuesday. You'll see in Ron, Pastor Ron's email on Tuesday. So two quick reminders uh, for opportunities for us to serve and to continue in worship. Community Christmas is happening. It is uh, ongoing. And I just want to say thank you to all those who have volunteered, all those who have donated, all those who have given time and money to this. Thank you for your service. And a reminder that tomorrow, Monday, is the last day to drop off gifts. You can drop them off here at the church building from 3 to 5.30 p.m. And as you do that, pray. Pray over these gifts that, and pray for the, the children and the families that these gifts will be going to, that they might be a small window uh, for the light of the gospel to shine into these homes. Well, our family has always done an Advent calendar. And this year, the Advent calendar will be uh, supplemented by and provided uh, by our DSC leaders. And we're calling this Sweet Hymns of Joy. It is uh, daily devotionals, short devotionals with scripture and a song verse um, or a song line from a Christmas hymn that me and other DSC leaders will be writing a devotional about. And we want these to be fuel for your family worship times and also fuel for our longing in this Christmas season and all that Christmas represents for us as Christians. You can sign up for that and receive those in your email Ron sent out a, a doc email last Tuesday, and it's, the link is in that email. And you can also go online under Upcoming and sign up for those devotionals. You'll get those daily uh, in your inbox. So take advantage of that. The Christmas season is a gospel season. So let's be busy with sharing, sharing our hope of Christ and our hope in Christ with our family and friends. And so now let's pray. Let us pray uh, for these things and to that end. Father, grant now what you desire from us. Grant the worship that you deserve. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's continue to give him praise. Give to our God immortal praise. Mercy and truth are all his ways. Wonders of grace to him belong. Repeat his mercies in your song. Give to the Lord. Give to the Lord of Lord's renown. The King of kings with glory crown. His mercies ever shall endure. Lords and kings are known no more. Wonders of grace to him belong. Repeat his mercies in your song. His mercies ever shall endure. When death and sin shall reign no more. Oh, when death and sin shall reign no more. Saw that we were dead in sin, and there 
Like singing, praying, 
is a form and a means for us to give thanks. So let us spend some time in prayer together. Holy Father, we are once again a weary world waiting. Waiting for your promised peace to be fully realized on earth as it is in heaven. This year has been a year of longing. Longing to be together. Longing to be healthy. Longing to be united. Longing to be normal. And as we enter the Advent season, a season of longing and anticipating the coming of your son, we may feel as if we've been in Advent all year, waiting for our Savior to come and set things aright. Help us. Help us, Lord, not to long without hope. That our longing would not be laced with fear, fear over a virus or over who our next president is, but that it would be filled with faith, faith in you and in your promises. And help us not to wait without patience, but to embrace this trial and the endurance that it brings. Help us to kiss the wave that throws us against the rock of ages. You are God. You are the God of every season. You are the God of 2020 and will be our God, our hope and help for years to come. So help us to rest. Help our restless hearts to find their rest in you. Give us your peace. Not a man-made peace, but peace from heaven. And in this season, as we again sing the songs of Emmanuel, let it tune our hearts to the wondrous mystery of the incarnation. Cause us to remember again that Christ came to dwell with us and to defeat the darkness that we, are, that we were trapped in and the darkness that we find ourselves surrounded by every day. He came to cure every curse and every curse of 2020. He came to heal every disease, every racial division, every political rift. Help us to live in that light and pursue that peace. And even as we drive the streets, may every Christmas light remind us of the light of the gospel that drives out darkness. Let every sweet hymn of joy that we sing raise our voice and our hearts and our eyes to our King who has come and will come again. Help us, Lord, not to waste our advent. As the darkness deepens, let our light shine out the clearer before a world pining for hope. And may they see and glorify you, our Father, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. The stars are brightly shining. It is the night of our dear Savior's birth. Long lay the world in sin and error pine till he appeared. And the soul felt its wound, a thrill of 
Well, good morning. <clears throat> For those of you who don't know me, my name is Randy Pierce. I'm one of the non-staff pastors here at Desert Springs. I also need to mention that uh, Ryan is uh, still in quarantine from his travels. Ron is, I think, out to Michigan to visit family. Uh, Chase is somewhere in Arkansas. And Caleb, I don't know where Caleb is. Uh, I also need to mention something on a more serious, uh, a sad note. Uh, Karen Pohuma, a member of Desert Springs Church, passed away uh, late Thanksgiving night. She had been battling cancer. Uh, her husband, Greg, who was also a member of Desert Springs, passed away in February of last year. They leave behind a daughter, Nicole, who is also a member of Desert Springs. I didn't know Karen personally, but I've heard what others have said about her, that she always showed a cheerful spirit, that they never saw her discouraged or down, that she loved Jesus. She loved the church, and she loved to serve, that she was full of joy because of her salvation, and that she spread that joy to those around her. Our sister Karen is home with her Savior. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for Karen, our sister in Christ. Thank you that she is with you in glory. Thank you for her testimony of joy in the midst of suffering, for her testimony of serving the church, the people of God whom she loved. Lord, in this moment, would you be with Karen's daughter, Nicole? Would you protect her in these days of isolation? Would you comfort her through those who have been comforted by your Holy Spirit? Would you remind her of the work of grace that she saw in both her father and her mother. And Lord, for today, as we hear your word, would you remind us that your word is true, that your word is pure, that your word is lovely and more desirable than anything we can imagine. Lord, would you, would you beautify your word today? Would you beautify it in our hearts today Lord, for the sake of your name, for the sake of those who call on the name of the Lord. Amen. Well, we're in Nehemiah uh, chapter 7 today. As I think about this chapter, I think about what makes for good literature. Literature is something that is artistic. It is something that has permanence. It is something that relates to the human experience. It is writing that is memorable and artistic. So in thinking about that, I want you to consider this writing, this note from long ago. Morning, snowing, and about three inches deep. Wind at northeast and mercury at 30. Continued snowing till one o'clock, and about four, it became perfectly clear. Wind in the same place, but not hard. Mercury. 28 at night. Well, what do you think? Is that good literature or is it literature at all? Is it artistic? Is it meaningful to the human experience? Is there any kind of permanence to it? What if I told you that that was written by George Washington? 
And what if I told you that actually this was the last thing that George Washington wrote before he died? Our text today has 73 verses, of which 66 of those verses is a list of names and numbers. It's sort of like a phone book. Yeah, uh, a phone book. Uh, well, a phone book, and apparently, I think they're still being made, a phone book was something that would be delivered to your front door about once a year. And you could open this book, and you could find in this book a list of names and addresses and phone numbers for everyone, just about everyone in the city in which you lived. Yeah, you really could do that. So, all the time that my family received phone books at the front door, I never remember a, a time that we uh, marked it on the calendar. I never remember a time that we celebrated it. I never remember a time that we brought the family together, sat down, and we read through the phone book. I don't remember that time. That's a little of the problem we face today with this chapter. It's basically a personal note attached to the cover of a long list of 110 names and 55 numbers. Yeah, I counted them. The problem in considering this list is that by itself, it lacks context. Like that note from George Washington, we need to understand the history behind it if we want to look at this list of names as more than just a page in a phone book. So we'll look at this chapter in three parts. The first part, the city of promise, verses one through four. Then the personal God, just one verse, verse five. And then the rest of it, the roll call of the unaccomplished. I'll read the first 11 verses in this chapter. And then just to spare you, to spare you because I know of our attention spans, I'll read selected verses through the, through the rest. Nehemiah chapter seven. Now when the wall had been built and I had set up the doors and the gatekeepers, the singers and the Levites had been appointed, I gave my brother Hanani and Hananiah, the governor of the castle, charge over Jerusalem. For he was a more faithful and God-fearing man than many. And I said to them, let not the gates of Jerusalem be opened until the sun is hot. And while they are still standing guard, let them shut and bar the doors. Appoint guards from among the inhabitants of Jerusalem, some at their guard post and some in front of their own homes. The city was wide and large, but the people within it were few and no houses had been rebuilt. Then my God put it into my heart to assemble the nobles and the officials and the people to be enrolled by genealogy. And I found the book of the genealogy of those who came up at the first and I found written in it, these were the people of the province who came up out of the captivity of those exiles whom Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, had carried into exile. They returned to Jerusalem and to Judah, each to his town. They came with Zerubbabel, Jeshua, Nehemiah, Azariah, Raamiah, Nahamani, Mordecai, Bilshan, Mispereth, Bigvi, Nahum, Ba'ana, the number of the men of the people of Israel, the sons of Perosh, 2,172, the sons of Shephatiah, 372, 
the sons of Arah, 652, the sons of Pahath, Moab, namely the sons of Jeshua and Joab, 2,818. And going to verse 39, the priest, the sons of Jediah, namely the house of Jeshua, 973, the sons of Emer, 1,052. Verse, verses 43 and 45 through 45, the Levites, the sons of Jeshua, namely of Cadmiel, of the sons of Hodavah, 74. The singers, the sons of Asaph, 148. The gatekeepers, the sons of Shalom, the sons of Ater. And then verse 46, the temple servants, the sons of Ziha, the sons of Hasufa, the sons of Tabaoth. Verse 57, the sons of Solomon's servants, the sons of Sotai, the sons of Sophereth, the sons of Parada. Going to verse 61. The following were those who came up from Tel-Mela, Tel-Harsha, Cherub, Adon, and Emer. But they could not prove their fathers' houses nor their descent, whether they belonged to Israel, the sons of Delaiah, the sons of Tobiah, the sons of Nakoda, 642. Also of the priest, the sons of Hobaiah, the sons of Hakaz, the sons of Barzillai, who had taken a wife of the daughters of Barzillai the Gileadite and was called by their name. These sought their registration among those enrolled in the genealogies, but it was not found there, so they were excluded from the priesthood as unclean. The governor told them that they were not to partake of the most holy food until a priest with Urim and Thummim should arise. The whole assembly together was 42,360, besides their male and female servants, of whom there were 7,337. And they had 245 singers, male and female. Their horses were 736, their mules 245, their camels 435, and their donkeys 6,720. And then the last verse, verse 73. So the priest, the Levites, the gatekeepers, the singers, some of the people, the temple servants, and all Israel lived in their towns. And when the seventh month had come, the people of Israel were in their towns. This is God's word. This first section is the city of promise. Verse 1. Now when the wall had been built, that means... Nehemiah's work is done. He's finished. He can pack his bags and go back to Persia, back to King Artaxerxes. It was to King Artaxerxes that he said, and this is back in chapter 2 and verse 5, if it pleases the king and if your servant has found favor in your sight that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's graves, that I may rebuild it. This city to which... Nehemiah came was a place of graves, a place of rubble. Look at verse 4 where it says, no houses had been rebuilt. And now Nehemiah had built a wall around it. Now Jerusalem was a cemetery with a memorial chapel in it and a wall around it. Now it was just a quiet, holy place where people could come and pay their respects. But no, That's not what Nehemiah had in mind. 
Instead, he appointed places on the wall, and not just for the gatekeepers, but also for the singers and the Levites. He did this because the city of God was worth singing about. He did this because the city of God was worthy of teaching and blessing. And he may have been thinking of the prophecy of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 62, where it says, On your walls, O Jerusalem, I have set watchmen all the day and all the night. They shall never be silent. You who put the Lord in remembrance, take no rest and give him no rest until he establishes Jerusalem and makes it a praise in the earth. Nehemiah appointed his brother, Hanani, and another guy, Hananiah, charge over Jerusalem. He did this because he saw Jerusalem not as a city of fading memories, but as a city of promise, the city of promise. Nehemiah was a man who knew God's promises. Nehemiah was a man who knew that God was faithful to his promises. So what was Nehemiah thinking when he traveled that four-month-long journey from Persia to Jerusalem? What was he thinking when he undertook to rebuild the wall amid much hostility and opposition? It may be that he remembered something that Jeremiah prophesied. Read with me from Jeremiah chapter 31. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when the city shall be rebuilt for the Lord from the tower of Hananel to the corner gate, and the measuring line shall go out farther, straight to the hill Gareb, and shall then turn to Goa. The whole valley of the dead bodies and the ashes, and all the fields as far as the brook Kidron, to the corner of the horse gate toward the east, shall be sacred to the Lord. It shall not be plucked up are overthrown anymore forever. Nehemiah may have also been thinking of this prophecy of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 44. Thus says the Lord, your Redeemer, who formed you from the womb, I am the Lord who made all things, who alone stretched out the heavens, who spread out the earth by myself, who frustrates the signs of liars and makes fools of diviners, who turns wise men back and makes their knowledge foolish, who confirms the word of his servant and fulfills the counsel of his messengers, who says of Jerusalem, she shall be inhabited, and of the cities of Judah, they shall be built, and I will raise up their ruins. Nehemiah saw a lot of rubble in the ruins of Jerusalem. Rubble filled the city from one end to the other. But his eyes were not fixed on that. Rather, his eyes were fixed on the promises of God. Nehemiah saw the city of God by faith. And I wonder if that's the way we see the city of God today. That's the church, by the way. The church is the temple of God and the wall of protection for the people of God. The church, and namely the local church, is the expression 
of the city of God today. The rubble that we see in the church today is not unlike the rubble that Nehemiah saw in his time. We can see, if we're really looking for it, the rubble of idolatry and hypocrisy. Here's what Ezekiel says about the people of Jerusalem. And he said this before Jerusalem was destroyed. Ezekiel chapter 16. Again, the word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, make known to Jerusalem her abominations. Your elder sister is Samaria, who lived with her daughters to the north of you. And by the way, the uh, daughters, in the context here, daughters means uh, villages or little towns. And your younger sister, who lived to the south of you, is Sodom with her daughters. Not only did you walk in their ways and do according to their abominations, within a very little time you were more corrupt than they in all your ways. As I live, declares the Lord God, your sister Sodom and her daughters have not done as you and your daughters have done. If we want to go on our own self-serving, I told you so inspection tour, we can find some rubble in our church. We can find it for this reason, because our church, and this is unlike any organization or institution I know of, our church and many like it, take in every stripe of broken people. We take in those who struggle with sexual lust. We take in those who struggle with their identities. We take in those who struggle with anger or depression or drinking or drugs. We even take in those who struggle with pride, with the pride of their accomplishments. So it's easy to look at church and even our church and see the rubble of brokenness. But we can be like Nehemiah, who chose instead to look at God's promises. We can, by faith, look at this expression of the city of God and see his promises. We can fix our gaze upon what God treasures. Do you know what he treasures? Above everything else in this world, God treasures his people. God treasures the church. That brings us to the second point, the personal God, verse 5. So I want to be careful in what I say about Nehemiah, since you might get the impression that I'm setting up Nehemiah merely as a role model. Well, in fact, we, we do need to emulate Nehemiah. We need to pray like Nehemiah prayed. We need to pray for the people of God. We need to take courage like Nehemiah did. We need to serve the people of God at great cost like Nehemiah did. We need to lead like Nehemiah did. Even if we are not recognized as formal leaders, we need to lead those who would naturally look up to us. But Nehemiah is not primarily a role model, as if we should say, I need to be a Nehemiah. No, Nehemiah is primarily a picture or a type of one who is to come. We don't need to be a Nehemiah. We need a Nehemiah. We need a greater Nehemiah. We need one who will take courage for us. We need one who will pray on our behalf. We need one who will serve us at great cost. 
We need one who will lead us in places that we would never go. Nehemiah believed the promises of God. But notice what God did. Notice what Nehemiah says in this verse 5. Then my God put it into my heart to assemble the nobles and the officials and the people to be enrolled by genealogy. It was God who made the promises, and it was God who made good on the promises. And he did that by stirring Nehemiah's heart. But how or why did God stir his heart? One thing we need to note about Nehemiah is his relationship to God. He didn't say, then God put it into my heart. Rather, he said this, then my God put it into my heart. I don't know about you, but I'm convicted by this. I know it's not in our fashion today to speak about God this way, but how often do I say, my father did this for me? Or how often do I say, my savior has delivered me from evil? Nehemiah believed in the promises of God, even, even as he looked at the rubble in Jerusalem. He saw in the rubble the city of promise, the city of God occupied by the people of God, ready to sing the praises of God. And I found the book of the genealogy of those who came up at the first, and I found written in it. And that brings us to the third, and maybe the most interesting part of this chapter, the roll call of the unaccomplished. Well, what do we make of these 110 names and 55 numbers? One thing we can note from this list is that the names are rather ordinary. In fact, they're a little bit less than ordinary since except for the 12 leaders mentioned at the first, there is not a single named person in this list who made that arduous four-month-long journey from Persia to Jerusalem. All we see here is the sons of or the men of. The names in this list are ordinary in another sense. There is no one in this list for whom an accomplishment is given. None at all. In thinking about this, as I thought about this list and the fact that there's no accomplishments listed, it reminded me of something my daughter, Sarah, uh, did for me. Christmas of 2001, she gave me a blank diary. In this diary, she had written a few questions. Questions like, uh, Dad, what was your childhood like? Or, uh, Dad, what kind of schools did you go to? Or, Dad, what was it like to meet Mom? And then one question in particular really, really got me. It was this one. Dad, what are your greatest accomplishments? As I, as I thought about that, as I thought deeply about that, I realized something I had. I had never realized before. I realized that without exception, all of my accomplishments, anything worth speaking about, anything worth writing about, were entirely accidental. I had not planned one of them. I had not gone that direction. I had never set my mind on it. As I looked back, I saw 
that even for the many years in which I was not a believer in Christ, that God had his hand on me, that God was leading me to do things that I would have never done. That was humbling. This list is the list of the unaccomplishment, of the unaccomplished. But we need to go beyond this list. And we can begin by asking the question, where else in scripture do we see a list like this? Thankfully, we don't need to go very far. We only need to go as far as the book of Ezra, the one right before Nehemiah, where we find in chapter two of Ezra, the exact same list as this in Nehemiah, almost word for word, the same. That should, that should tip us off to something. That should tip us off to the fact that maybe these two books are connected to each other. In fact, they are. I want to list, I want to give you five more connections between these two books. Ezra, number one, Ezra, when he left Persia for Jerusalem, was ashamed to ask the king for soldiers to protect him on his journey. Chapter 8 and verse 22. But Nehemiah journeyed, it says, with officers of the army and horsemen. Chapter 2 and verse 9. A second connection. Ezra chapter 8 and verse 32. We came to Jerusalem and there we remained three days. Nehemiah chapter 2 and verse 11. So I went to Jerusalem and was there three days. A third connection. In Ezra chapter 4, we read what the leaders of Israel said to their adversaries. You have nothing to do with us in building a house to our God, but we alone will build to the Lord, the God of Israel. In Nehemiah chapter 2, Nehemiah says to his adversaries, the God of heaven will make us prosper, and we his servants will arise and build but you have no portion or right or claim in Jerusalem. A fourth connection, both Ezra and Nehemiah dealt with the very serious issue of mixed marriages. Ezra chapters 9 and 10, Nehemiah chapter 13. And a fifth connection, and there could be more. When Ezra heard that some of the people of Israel had married people of the surrounding nations, he pulled out his own hair. Ezra chapter 9, verse 3. When Nehemiah heard, this is in chapter 13 and verse 25, when he heard that some Jews had done the same, he pulled out their hair. As, in fact, Ezra and Nehemiah are so well connected that when listing the books of the Bible, it's probably better to put a hyphen between these two than a comma. And one thing we can learn from this connection, these connections, can be seen in the first chapter of Ezra where it says that these nameless and ordinary people were those whose spirit God had stirred to go up to rebuild the house of the Lord that is in Jerusalem. They didn't go. They didn't go because they wanted to escape captivity. They didn't go because they were seeking adventure. They certainly didn't go because they wanted a vacation. They went because God stirred up their hearts. Let me just add that God will not stir up our hearts unless we are intent on hearing him speak from his word. The people in this, this list, 
These were the grandparents, the great-grandparents of those who lived in Nehemiah's time. Nehemiah wanted some of their descendants, we'll learn later that it's one in ten, to live in Jerusalem, to rebuild and to repopulate the city of God. He wanted those who were separated from the people of the land around them. He wanted only the people of God to dwell in the city of God. So it's fitting that I call this section the roll call of the unaccomplished. But we need to see the larger context in scripture to understand why. And to do that, we need to go back. We need to go all the way back to Genesis in chapter 3. We know what happens in that pivotal chapter in scripture. The first man and the first woman rebelled against God. They committed treason against the throne of God. And for that, a curse was put upon the serpent and the ground. This curse on the ground is easier to understand because what is it that comes out of the ground? Everything. (laughs) Everything comes out of the ground. And that means that everything the man and the woman touched, everything they tried to work with was cursed. Everything was broken. And so it is today. It's the curse on the serpent that we need to understand if we, want, if, we, if we want to understand a deeper meaning to that list in Nehemiah 7. If we want to see how that list pertains to the story of the city of God. This is what God said to the serpent. Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. The serpent had offspring, and the woman had offspring, and there would be enmity. There would be hatred between the two. But who were these offspring? We find out in the next chapter of Genesis, Genesis chapter 4, where it tells us that Cain was cursed. And now you, that is Cain, are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. To this point, only the serpent, the ground, and Cain are cursed. And we might note in Genesis chapter 3, it says that the ground was cursed from Adam. In Genesis chapter 4, it says that Cain was cursed from the ground. And that means that all of his descendants were likewise cursed. And this is where we see the first list of names in the Bible. And it's no ordinary list. Read with me in Genesis chapter 4, starting in verse 17. Cain knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Enoch. When he built a city, he called the name of the city after the name of his son, Enoch. To Enoch was born Erod, and Erod fathered Mahujael. And Mahujael fathered Methushael, and Methushael fathered Lamech. And Lamech took two wives. The name of the one was Adah, and the name of the other, Zillah. Adah bore Jabal. He was the father of those who dwell in tents and have livestock. His brother's name was Jubal. He was the father of all those who play the lyre and pipe. Zillah also bore Tubal-Cain. He was the forger of all instruments of bronze and iron. Cain was busy building a city, and it wasn't the city of God. 
Cain was building the city of man. Cain was building the city, the city of the accomplished. Here were the pioneers of home life, the pioneers of animal domestication, of the musical arts, of all metalworking. These people were the movers and shakers of the day. They were the captains of industry. They were the elite class of society. The last one on this list, Lamech, was accomplished at something else. He was the first to have two wives. He was the first to abuse his wives. He was the first to boast about murder. There's one more list we need to look at. It's the list in Genesis chapter 5, the very next chapter. And it includes the names of Adam's descendants, beginning with Seth and going all the way to Noah. This list, interestingly, has the same number of male names. And it has both, it has an Enoch and a Lamech. So there's an Enoch and a Lamech in both the first and the second list. And by these similarities, the author of Genesis wants us to compare the two lists. He wants us to see what is similar and what is different about these two lists. We notice one thing about Cain's list. This list, the list of Cain, is the list of the accomplished. The list of Seth, on the other hand, is the list of the unaccomplished. We don't see a single accomplishment in that list, except, except for this one thing, and we read about it in the last verse of Genesis 4. At that time, people began to call upon the name of the Lord. The line of Seth was the line of those who called on the name of the Lord, the people who were known by their relationship to the Lord. And there is no accomplishment on earth that comes anywhere near that, none at all. This is what uh, the prophet Jeremiah says, Jeremiah chapter 9. Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts, boast in this, that he understands and knows me. That brings us back to Nehemiah and the list in chapter 7. Well, almost. I need to mention one more thing, and it's important in understanding the great tension that exists in these two books, in both Ezra and Nehemiah. We read in Genesis 6, the beginning of the flood story, and how the wickedness of man was great in the earth. Because there was only evil continually, that's what Genesis chapter 6 and verse 5 says, the Lord determined to blot out every living thing on the earth. The Lord purposed to bring a flood on the earth. And we see the reason for the flood. It's the violence and the evil that have filled the earth. But it's easy to overlook something in this. And we see that in the verse right before verse 5. It says this, The Nephilim were on the earth in those days and also afterward when the sons of God came in to the daughters of man and they bore children to them. So, Whatever we may think about the Nephilim, who they are, or who the sons of God were, one thing we can see for certain is that the line of Seth, the line of those who call on the name of the Lord, were being corrupted by evil. The seed 
was being mixed. The descendants of the one line were marrying into the descendants of the other. And that's why Ezra said to the people of the land, the non-Israelites who surrounded him, you have nothing to do with us. That is why Nehemiah told the adversaries, you have no portion or right or claim in Jerusalem. They said those things because they knew there were only two important lists in this world. The list of those who belong to the serpent and the list of those who belong to the seed of the woman. And get this, those in the first list are always opposed to those who belong to the second. Those who are born of the serpent want to mix with those who are born of God, and they do it for their own selfish purposes. Let us build with you, they say, for we worship your God as you do. Ezra chapter 4. The offspring of the servant, the serpent, will always hate the offspring of the woman. But when Sanballat and Tobiah and the Arabs and the Ammonites and the Ashdodites heard that the repairing of the walls of Jerusalem was going forward and that the breaches were beginning to be closed, they were very angry. And they all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and to cause confusion in it. Nehemiah chapter 4. They will hate the offspring of the woman, and they will do it for no reason at all. They encircle me with words of hate and attack me without cause, is what David said in Psalm 109. This is no less true today. If you happen... If you happen to be getting along with some unbelievers, it is only because God has his hand on this world. It is only because God is restraining evil in this world. And we, as the people of God, as those who call on the name of the Lord, we should take advantage of that. We should take advantage of those situations where we are on good relations with our unbelieving neighbors to love them, to serve them at great cost, to speak kind words of truth to them so that they one day will be released from the bondage of the serpent. The descendants of the serpent are always opposed to the people of God. And that is why Nehemiah dug into the archives and pulled out a list of names that was 90 years old. He wanted only those who called on the name of the Lord to inhabit the city of God. What does it mean to inhabit the city of God? It means, as we will see in coming weeks, that they will hunger for and hear the word of God, Nehemiah chapter 8. It means that there will be great rejoicing, also chapter 8. It means the people, instead of being hardened by their sins, will confess them and will find forgiveness, chapter 9. It means, chapter 10, that the people will covenant with each other and with the Lord to keep his word. It means, chapter 12, that there will be gladness and thanksgiving. This is what it means to be in the city of God today. This is what it means to be in the church of God today. We will read later, Nehemiah chapter 11, that one in 10 people 
10% will be selected by lottery to live in Jerusalem. There's also a lottery for the church today. So imagine, imagine with me, a bag filled with marbles. And you, as the people of God, you, as one who calls on the name of the Lord, reaches into that bag and you take hold of a marble. If it's a white marble, you are selected to live in the city of God. You are selected to do the work of rebuilding in people's lives. You are selected to pray for people. You are selected to hear the word of God, to confess your sins. You are selected to rejoice greatly. You are selected to enter into covenant with others, to live in a way that is pleasing to God. That bag is full of marbles, and every marble in it is white. There's one more thing I need to say as we close today. We don't want to miss what's happening in this last group of people in this list. Verse 61. The following were those who came up from Tel Mela, Tel Harsha, Cherub, Adon, and Emer. But they could not prove their father's houses, nor their descent, whether they belonged to Israel. And then verses 64 and 5. These sought their registration among those enrolled by the genealogies, but it was not found there, so they were excluded from the priesthood as unclean. The governor told them that they were not to partake of the most holy food until a priest with Urim and Thummim should arise. We don't need to be concerned at this point what the Urim and the Thummim are. What we need to see is that some of these people, some of these people took, undertook the long four-month journey from Persia to Jerusalem, and they walked, not knowing if they truly belonged to the people of God. Are you in that group today? Are you that desperate today? Do you know for certain that you belong to the second list, to the roll call of those who take no pride in their accomplishments, to the list of those who call on the name of the Lord? We are all born into that first list. We are all born as children of the serpent, sons and daughters of the devil. And that's why we have to be born again. And the requirement for you, if you are not sure that you're in that second list, is really simple. Call on the name of the Lord. You need a greater Nehemiah than the one whose name is Jesus. You need someone who will fight your enemy for you because you can't. Your enemy is stronger than you and he will eat you up like a roaring lion. You need the greater Nehemiah to lead you in working and serving and worshiping in the place where other forgiven and redeemed people are. Call on the name of the Lord. I was reading in the Psalm 116 this morning. I read in the Psalms every morning and I came across this. It says this, Psalm 116, I love the Lord because he has heard my voice and my pleas for mercy. Because he inclined his ear to me, therefore I will call on him as long as I live. Death wrapped its robes around me, ropes around me. The terrors of the grave overtook me. I saw only trouble and sorrow. Then I called on the name of the Lord. 
O Lord, I pray, deliver my soul. So call on the name of the Lord. Tell him that you want, that you really want to be in the city of God. Tell him that you have no accomplishments, no skill or talent that would merit you being a citizen of this royal city. The Apostle Paul says this in the book of Romans. It's Romans 10, chapter 10, and verse 11. He says this, Whoever believes in him will not be disappointed. If you're not sure, I urge you, don't be disappointed. Not even one more day. Would you call the church, Desert Springs, or email us? We would love to speak with you. And for the rest of you, for those of you who call on the name of the Lord, there's a white marble in your hand. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you saw the rubble of our broken lives. You saw how we were broken beyond repair with none to help. And so you came down from heaven. You left the throne room of God to rescue a people at great cost. You did it at the cost of your life. You rescued your people so that they would live lives pleasing to God. And now, as Moses says in Psalm 90, let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Lord, would you do that? Would you grant that we would devote our lives to what you treasure the most? That we would all put our words, our hearts, our hands to the work of rebuilding in people's lives. We will work for the sake of your name, for the sake of those who call on the name of the Lord. Amen. Let us respond and sing in faith. By faith we see the hand of God in light of creation's grand design In the lives of those who prove His faithfulness Who walk by faith and not by sight By faith our fathers on the earth With the power Of a holy city built by God's own men, a place where peace and justice we will stand, we will stand as children of promise, we will fix our eyes on him, our souls reward till the By faith and not by sight. By faith the prophets saw the day when the long for Messiah would appear. 
power to break the chains of sin and death and rise triumphant from the grave. Yes, we go. By faith the church was called to go. In the power of the Spirit to the lost, to deliver captives and to preach good news in every corner of the earth. We will stand as children of the promise. We will fix our eyes on Him, our soul's reward. Till the race is finished and the work is done, we'll walk by faith This mountain shall be moved And the power of His gospel shall prevail For we know in Christ all things are possible For all who call upon His name We will stand as children know one of the most electric passages in scripture. It's in John, the gospel of John chapter 11, where Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. That was a day of mourning for Martha and Mary, a day of great sadness, and for all the many people who were gathered there. Nothing good would happen on that day. Nothing good could possibly happen until Jesus spoke, until he spoke the word of God which was heard by one who was completely lifeless. We can think about these days like that. We can think that nothing good will happen. But did you notice in that story, did you notice in that chapter in the Gospel of John what Jesus didn't do? Jesus didn't say, stone, roll away. He didn't do that. He could have easily done that, but instead he asked the people of God to do the work of God so that a dead man could hear the word of God. He has given us that privilege today. It's a great purpose. He has blessed you with the high calling of helping others hear the word of God, even in a day when it seems that not much good will happen. So go and walk in the blessing 
and purposes of God.